Hi, everybody. My name is Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome back to The X Factor. Uh, yes, it's been a while, uh, but uh, glad to be back. And I'm back with a very special guest. My guest today is Coach Matt Darty. Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? Doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, just to let everybody know, Matt and I have been friends for a very long time. And uh, so this should be a, a really good episode. So, Matt, why don't you tell everybody uh, who you are and what you do? Well, Steve, uh, my background, you and I have known each other. We, we were trying to figure out before the show about 35 years or so. Um, I went to college at the University of North Carolina, played basketball for Dean Smith, played with Michael Jordan, James Worthy, some great players. Uh, went on to uh, ended up coaching, finally got into the coaching world, was an assistant at Davidson at Kansas for Roy Williams, head coach at Notre Dame, head coach at North Carolina, and then, then got fired and went on a leadership journey. And um, it really opened my eyes that leadership's the most important topic that's not formally taught, but yet you can't just take a class and then check the box and say, I'm a good leader. It has to be practiced. And that's why I have the Darty coaching practice and the motto is learn and grow because I, I like to like to learn, you know, I love having conversations with you um, just to, you know, we, we've talked a lot in the past about sports psychology. Uh, I know you went to Kansas and, and, and studied there. Um, it just fascinates me. Um, I'm trying to be a lifelong learner and, and now I'm an executive coach. I have my own practice, but I also do corporate talks. I enjoy talking about culture, about leadership, team building, um, things like that. And then um, I also am in a Vistage chair. Vistage is one of the oldest executive coaching organizations in the country. So I uh, stay busy. I enjoy it. I'm still a teacher, still a coach, just I'm not uh, on the basketball court. Right. And, you know, our, our, uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time, but our paths have crossed uh, several times. And, uh, you know, we, you know, so we, we've had these conversations, you know, as coaches when we were both coaching and then we've had it, uh, you know, when, when you were coaching and I was consulting and now we're, we're in the same business. So we've kind of come full circle, you and I, and it's just exciting that, you know, to, uh, to speak with somebody, you know, and have the same kind of synergy that, uh, that we built for, you know, for, for such a long time. So let, let me ask you this, Matt. So in terms of leadership, what do you think is the best aspect of being a leader? I, I, I would, my old self would say some things that would make it sound egotistical, like, um, you know, you're in control, you're in charge, you get to create the culture. Um, my older self would say, I, I think having the responsibility to create a culture and and develop people, you know, that's a real responsibility. You know, we talk about servant leadership and I like to talk about inverting the org chart. You know, everyone starts with the org chart with the CEO at top mm -hmm. and then it cascades down. I like to put it the other way where the CEO's in the bottom mm -hmm. and he or she is there to support the, the C-suite they're supporting the VPs, they're supporting the employees, they're supporting the clients. So 
I just think it's a really big responsibility and you have to understand that. And, and when you do, and you are a servant leader, it's really powerful because um, the relationships, the impact you can make is, uh, is, is really powerful. You know, that's, that's such a great point because I think a lot of people, uh, particularly talented people, that you know, they know they're talented, they know they're leaders when they're young. And they're looking for that leadership opportunity so they can express those talents and you know, basically to gain some control of not only them, themselves, but also you know, the, the environment that they're in. Uh, and then when they're, you know, then, and, and as we all go through, through life, we'll have our knocks, we'll, have, we'll be put down. And I find the ones who are open to grow, open to, to learn, um, they recognize that, that it's not about them. But the ones who refuse to grow, who refuse to learn, then, you know, they maintain the focus on themselves and so they'll, they'll just heap one failure on top of another and they'll wean themselves out. Yeah. And yeah, I, it, it, um, I wrote a book, uh, came out about a year ago called Rebound from Pain to Passion. And it's all about what you just touched on. Uh, I love collecting quotes. I send out a quote every day on social media and I really do it. You know, hopefully I impact other people, but I do it for myself because Leadership is a practice. We continually have to develop good habits and have reminders. And when I lost my job at North Carolina, you know, you played football, you coach football. What do you do after a loss? You watch film and you figure out a way to get better. Well, that's what I did with my career as a coach. What did I do wrong? How can I get better? Uh, so I wanted to come back as a better leader. And the most exciting thing I read was taking a class about emotional intelligence and it said leadership is a learned behavior. And when I heard that, that really fired me up because at that point I thought I was not a good leader because I was told I wasn't a good leader. Um, uh, it was, it was written about me in the papers. And so, um, Nelson Mandela ha has a great quote, many great quotes, but one was, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And then uh, I think Oprah, Oprah Winfrey said, it doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So I think it's all about mindset. How do you view what is happening? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you have that growth mindset, you're like, man, this is exciting. Now I learn how not to do it. Um, and, and I can grow from this and get better. Uh, and so that's the mindset that I try to take. And I think um, the, the successful people do, because like you said, everyone's going to fail. I mean, I look at Abraham Lincoln, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, you know, Michael Jordan, uh, Thomas Edison, uh, uh, Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star because he had no imagination. Imagine if he just accepted that and, and said, oh, I don't have imagination. I, I'm going to go be an accountant. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I had a, uh, I had a client early on in my executive coaching career he was a wall street trader and he, he had a great quote about, uh, losing money. And he says, well, I just try not to make it a habit. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but that kind of mindset is, you know, that failure is your friend. And if you're not failing, you're not, you know, you're not extending yourself. You're not trying things, you know, and, and, and that part of, uh, of success uh, really just goes back to the Rudyard Kipling, uh, you know, famous po po poem, you know, called If. And if you can treat those two imposters the same, mm -hmm. uh, then you can, you know, then you are allowed to just keep moving and keep moving forward, uh, but not for your own good, but for the good of the people that you are leading. And, you know, particularly in, uh, uh, in business, uh, where you and I both, you know, uh, spend most of our time now, is that, you know, leaders are responsible for the financial lives of, of their employees. And that's an you know, just an incredibly important responsibility. Yes, it's a, it is. A, that's what I was kind of referring to before. It is a big responsibility that obviously, you know, needs to be taken seriously. And the leader must continually learn. Um, you know, you and I can volley quotes back and forth all day long. Roy Williams would always say, you might be on the right track, but if you're standing still, you're going to get run over. So you got to continually grow and evolve and um and it's an exciting place because it is like golf i mean you could you could birdie nine and you go to the 10th tee box thinking you have it figured out and you hit it out of bounds mm -hmm. and and that's leadership you know you get into the red zone you think you're ready to score and somebody pushes a button and extends the field another 100 yards yeah. that's leadership mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's such a dynamic environment that you you know if you don't keep moving, everybody else is just going to pass you by, and you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So, but this uh, you know this idea of of responsibility, uh, I think, is sometimes overlooked, particularly by younger people. So, when you know, I, I know you do some speaking, and and obviously you do some coaching, but you know, particularly with younger people you know, what advice do you give them regarding, you know, leadership and or human performance? Well, I think, first of all, it's okay to fail. And, and you touched on it earlier. Uh, you grow, uh, John Maxwell, um, I went through his program, and he talks about he, he has a quote, you grow at the end of your comfort zone. So you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think uh, putting yourself in position, exposing yourself to opportunities, practice leadership your life's impacted i used to say by two things but now i'll say three uh trauma in your life whether it's personal or professional mm -hmm. the people you meet and the books you read mm -hmm. and so you've got to continually put yourself around people that can help you grow and stretch you challenge you and then you need to read books. I mean, there's, there's so many. And, and I, I try to read at least two a month. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so easy to do now with audiobooks mm -hmm. instead of, you know, listening to some music that may not impact your life, you listen to a book. And in a matter of five hours, you've got some knowledge that you didn't have before. And that can really help you on your trajectory to be a better leader so yeah you mentioned this you know this aspect of failure and you know we alluded to that you know it's an imposter but how did it impact you as a leader but also you as a person 
Well, no one likes to fail, um, but, you know, when you play sports, it's there for everyone to see. So I chose to play at the University of North Carolina. And when you lose, the whole world, you know, the whole sports world sees it. I chose to take the North Carolina head coaching job. And when you lose, everyone sees it. Um, some people don't like that challenge. Some people are afraid of that. I never wanted to be afraid of it. And so I think the biggest thing that I've always tried to do, Steve, is um, and in and, 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 and the, the book Rebound from Pain to Passion, I talk about the six no's, K-N-O-W-S, of leadership. And I make up a story about Stevitt, some kid I recruited from Eastern Europe, because we all like stories. We like acronyms. They stick. And uh, it's spelled S-T-E-V-I-T. So you got to know yourself. Mm -hmm. You got to know your team. You got to know your environment. You got to know your vision. You got to know your industry. And you got to mind for the truth. And the thing that I really stress to people, and I think this is the hardest thing for all leaders, is to mind for the truth. Because everyone gets defensive. Everyone's got egos. But I, I jokingly say, I said, I'd rather know the truth up front than to hear about it a week or two or three or four, uh, six months later, that something's going on or people don't like the way I'm managing the team or managing a meeting. I'd rather know. So how can I create a safe environment for my team to come to me with the truth? How do I create that? I jokingly say, if I was to be a head coach again, I'd have one of my assistants, their title would be truth teller. And it was like a pass that they can come to me anytime, interrupt me and say, hey, I got to talk to you. And I have to stop what I'm doing and listen. And when they say, hey, you were a jerk to that kid in practice yesterday, you need to talk to him. I can't get defensive. I got to thank them. I got I to gotta thank them, not only at that moment, but then I've got to thank them in front of the team, my assistants, so my assistants know it's okay to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. um, I'm coming up with a, this is tongue-in-cheek, a new product that's called a CEO GoPro, and it's it's got two cameras, one looking out forward, so when I'm talking to my team, I can really study their body language because body language is 50% of communication. Mm -hmm. I can see their facial reactions. And then when I leave the room, more importantly, there's a camera behind. So when I walk out of the room, I can see and hear the chatter about their thoughts on that talk, that presentation, that meeting. Because everyone goes to the break room and rolls their eyes at the boss and says, man, what a jerk. Can you believe he said that? Oh, man, what a jerk. I can't believe she's having us redo this, you know, PowerPoint. And you want to know that. Like, wouldn't it help to know? Yeah. Like, I want to hear that. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why we talk about culture, creating a culture and behaviors. And, you know, I try to stress to my clients, you know, you should have a behavior of take the problem to the person. You know, don't gossip. So if I have a problem with you, I'm not going to talk to your wife, uh, Amy, about it. Mm -hmm. She should say, take the problem to the person. 
So I got to go to you and say, Steve, I don't like the way you talked to me in the meeting yesterday. And then you have to take that in a professional, respectful way and say, hey, Matt, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to make you feel that way. I'll, I'll try to do better in the future and be sincere with it. Yeah. Because the thing that we all have as human beings is feelings. And I think especially as men, we try to act like we're these tough guys. And I talk about wearing masks. You know, I wear three masks, the tough guy mask, we got my crap together mask and the smart guy mask. Mm -hmm. And I tell our, our team when I do a Vistage meeting, we take those masks off and put them on the hook so we can be real and authentic and vulnerable mm -hmm. and create a safe environment. You know, that might be the, the core responsibility of any leader is to seek the truth. You yeah. Know? And so let me ask you this is what have you learned about why leaders either avoid the truth or dismiss the truth when it's presented to them? Uh, a couple of things. Um, I think they're insecure. Mm -hmm. I think most leaders are very insecure. Um, and some of the reason they got to be where they are is their insecurity drove them to work hard to get to that point. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing is familiarity breeds contempt is the saying, mm -hmm. but it's weird because you hire a staff, you surround yourself supposedly with people that are smarter than you, but then you don't take their advice. You'll take somebody else's advice outside the organization and they'll say the same thing. So sometimes you'd have to play games with leadership and say, you know, Instead of saying, hey, what about doing this? You know, hey, Steve, what about, you know, let's let's run this run pass option. Mm -hmm. You know, if we do it like this, I think it could work. And you're like, you're like, as the head coach, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't like that play. No, that's that that'll never work. Now, if I said to you, hey, I study and film on uh, Florida and Ohio State and Urban Meyer ran the run pass option with Tebow and then he did it at Ohio State and it was really successful. Here's some video and, and Urban really perfected this. Now you're like, whoa, Urban Meyer? He won three national championships? Now it's not, you're not taking my idea, you're taking Urban's idea and now you're more comfortable doing that because it's not as big a blow to your ego as taking it from a subordinate. It's really a weird dynamic. Like, why hire these people if you're not going to listen to them? <laughs> yeah, the, the, if, if you don't hire, uh, you know, who you think are A people and you surround yourself with B and C people, it does reveal, you know, your own insecurity. Yes. It only yes. shows that you're a B or C people. That's right. Yeah. And you, you, you know... To give credit to your assistants or your VPs, mm -hmm. like I thought that was always important. I, tr I tried to do it like, hey, you know, I remember we, we, uh, we were going on this win streak in, <clears throat> at North Carolina. I was on ESPN one on an off night and we went over the play and I tried to give Doug Wojcik, my assistant, credit for the scout. Like we were in a timeout. He said, Hey coach, I think they're going to run this play. We should switch out. We did. We stole the ball and we won the game. And so I think that's important. And that's something I try to take from Dean Smith 
who always gave credit to his players in victory and mm -hmm. took the blame in losses. Well, that, that was, that's leading to my next question. And, and you've had, uh, you know, tremendous role models, you know, throughout your, not just your career, but through your life. Uh, some are very well known and some are not very, not known at all. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, who were, we, who were your role models and what did you learn from them? Well, as I get older, I realize how important my dad was and what a great dad he was. Um, and, and, you know, again, you don't realize that until you get older and you're father yourself. And, you know, I think back to how my dad handled certain things and, um, the calmness he had, um, you know, that, 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 and the way he loved my mother. Um, but outside of him, um, Bob McKillop was my high school coach my first two years. He's now been at Davidson like 34 years, Coach Steph Curry. He'll be a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, learned so much from him as a young player. How to play hard, attention to detail. Um doing the little things well. And then uh, Dick Seitler took over for him. And then, you know, playing for Dean Smith. I mean, he's, he's maybe the best ever, ever to do it. And I, I refer to Coach Smith all the time when I'm working with executives because business is a contact sport. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many parallels. And what he did best probably was drive culture intentionally Last year when I finished my book, I talked about the importance of culture, but I really couldn't describe it. Like, how do you drive it? And there's a guy named David Friedman who wrote Culture by Design. He's in New Jersey, and he spoke to one of my Vistage groups, and he's fascinating. But he really broke down culture and, and, and how to drive it. And when he was talking about it, when I read his book, I kept thinking about Dean Smith because that's how Dean Smith did it. You know, you have core values, play hard, play smart, play together. And you have behaviors that are sprouted from those core values, like hit the first open man you see. So you're operationalizing your core values and putting them to life. And coach, we would huddle up every day. We'd have an emphasis of the day, like hit the first open man you see. And then he'd catch you doing it right or catch you doing it wrong. And um, it was repetition. Repetition is the key to learning. Mm -hmm. And as much as we hate it as a kid and roll your eyes when your parents say, make your bed, brush your teeth, wash behind your ears, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's that repetition. Now we as parents are saying the same things to our kids <laughs> and they'll be saying them to their kids. So um, it, that's how it sticks is the repetition. And so, the culture driven by Coach Smith, and he, he's the best role model. Then I worked for Roy Williams. So I got to see the inner workings of the Carolina program because he was an assistant for Coach Smith for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got let go, I, I, I latched on. I had to find new mentors. And, um, you know, John Black, Tim Hothworth, Carol Weber, Jerry Bell. Uh, these are all people in the business world. Uh, Fran Johnston that really impacted my life from uh, a growth standpoint in, in the world of leadership. You know, what I've noticed, not only in athletics, but also in, in business, is 
many leaders or many, many people are hired into leadership positions because of the people that they worked under. And so the, the people who are doing the hiring, they're hoping they're bring, that that person is going to be able to institute that type of culture. And this is in, in uh, academically, this is called social learning theory. And it's a really powerful theory. And it's, it's important to understand is that what you, um, uh, what you observe as a follower and then indoctrinate will create certain habits. And you know, habit formation is a result of you know, rewards and repetition. And so when you're at a place like, uh, in, in your case, you know, uh, uh, as a coach, as an assistant coach at the University of Kansas under Coach Williams, uh, and then as a player under, you know, Coach Smith, right, you're being reinforced because you're having all this success. Right? And then you're able to bring that to Notre Dame and bring that to, uh, you know, Carolina and bring it to SMU and, and, and other places. Uh, and because of that, you know, all, you know, not only your players who directly were impacted, but uh, what people don't understand is that there's peripheral, peripheral impact by that. Uh, cause, uh, I remember the one year that I spent as a volunteer coach at Carolina. And I, I, I know that coach, coach Smith set the culture there because everybody had a business card with, with a saying that he, uh, that he's attributed to is, uh, it's amazing how much can be accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it, it's just, it's one of those things that if you surround yourself uh, and be aligned with really great people that, and, and, and if you're intentional about your learning yes. from them, and I've had the same, you know, I've, I've had the same gifts bestowed upon me, you know, uh, playing for Tubby Raymond, coaching for Tubby Raymond, uh, you know, working for George Welsh, uh, working with uh, Fisher DeBerry at the Air Force Academy and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, other outstanding coaches who I've been associated with uh, all that rubs off of me. And it's probably the primary lesson that I learned from my dad, just like the lessons that you learned from your dad was be coachable. Oh yeah. I think, I think he imparted coachable. that to me, Matt, because as you, as opposed to you, where you were an elite, you know, high school and college athlete, not so much for me. Well, so I think my father recognized my limitations fairly early and reinforced that to me is be coachable. Well, when you say that, I may immediately think back to, I think it's 1974, uh, Ford Galaxy in the parking lot of Models and Nescott Drugs. My dad buys me my first jock. He signed me up for Gus Alfieri's basketball camp on Long Island. And as he's handing me the jock, he says, when a coach tells you something, don't say I know. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was very powerful. Mm -hmm. And that was his way of saying, allow yourself to be coachable. Mm -hmm. And I fast forward 30 something years and I have a son and I'm trying to teach him how to catch a football. And um, my son as I'm explaining, you know, how to have your hands set. And he says, I know. And I'm like, what did you say? 
<laughs> I said, now I know what my dad said to me. Don't say I know. Yeah. You know, be coachable. No one likes to know it all. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing you touched on <clears throat> is aligning yourself with good people. That goes back to my point of your life's impacted by three things. You know, the people you meet, the books you read, and the trauma in your life. Mm-hmm. And so you can intentionally get to know people. You know, sometimes you have to be a volunteer coach, but that's a sacrifice you took. And then I think secondly is being curious, always asking why, you know, Hey, Steve, why do you do it that way? Hey coach, why did you make that decision? Why did you do this? Because you, you don't know, like you could see it for face value, but you might be wrong. So asking why opens up a whole new roadmap for making decisions. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's it, my father taught me the same lesson is, is don't don't respond when, when somebody, whether it's a coach or anybody else, you know, provides feedback to you. Don't ever say I know. Think about it. And then when you're ready, say, I understand, sir, mm-hmm. ma'am, coach, whoever it is, and then go about in, in instituting the, the correction. Mm-hmm. that's that's the growth mindset right there in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah well because we've been coaches and you know you go to that kid and he's got all the answers he's a know-it-all you don't want to rebound for him you don't want to put him through film sessions you don't enjoy it mm-hmm. but that kid that says thank you coach i appreciate it uh anything else what else and you know the best player ever to do it is michael jordan and he would go back to Chapel Hill every summer while he was playing and ask the coaches what he needed to work on because he wanted the truth mm-hmm. because he wanted to get better. And he didn't want to be around just yes, men. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, yeah, why, you know, I talk about the motto up, up here, learn and grow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's what I call the psychology of enthusiasm is mm-hmm. that regardless of success or failure, or if you're stuck in mediocrity, uh, you know, if you're on that plateau, wherever you are in that performance uh, journey, that you're excited about getting feedback and, and applying that feedback to make yourself better, to make your team better, to make your organization better. And ultimately, uh, water rises to its own level, Matt, you know this, uh, from your own experience and from the experience that you are now bestowing on, you know, the expertise that you're bestowing on, uh, on your clients is water rises to its own level, right? The group will never rise above the incompetency of the leader. And this is what's called the Peter principle. And it's been proven, you know, you know, since the sixties. Mm-hmm. And if we can, you know, as you and I, as coaches, I think that is our primary mission is to extend those limits of the Peter principle of, of the people that we serve. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, all right. So let me ask you this. What do you do uh, to relax and or celebrate? Oh gosh. I enjoy, um, I enjoy smoking a cigar. <laughs> okay. Um, I sh- maybe shouldn't admit that. Um, well, you are, you, you are a Carolina guy. You live in Carolina. You're, you're supporting the, the tobacco. tobacco the, the, you're the, a fine the, Carolina uh, citizen. Yeah. I uh, enjoy, 
you know, going out to dinner with good friends and family. Um, I, I don't know why I enjoy playing golf um, because I stink, uh, but I enjoy playing golf. I, I think like I'm going to go out the next round and like shoot in the eighties and that rarely happens. Uh, but I still think I will I'm playing again tomorrow. Uh, but uh, that's a place where you can still compete and feel the energy over a tee shot, over a putt that you don't get. I haven't, you know, the only place I really got that was playing basketball. And so yeah. now where can you find some kind of competition where, you know, you know, you make the shot, it means something, you miss the shot, it means something. And uh, so that's kind of the way I relax. You know, that's uh, that that reminds me, actually, the first time you and I met, you, you probably don't recall this, because when you and I really got to know each other was in New York, when we were dating women in the same apartment, when we were both out of athletics. That would have been we should have made a sitcom. We would have been ahead of our time. <laughs> call, call it longs or, or you know. The East 93rd Street. <laughs> that was yeah. where that's where it was all happening. That's right. Uh, you you and I first met in Charlottesville. You came up to Charlottesville for a Pete Newell big man oh, yeah. basketball camp. That's right. You stayed with Rick Carlisle, who was a friend of mine. He lived below me, and his roommate was the was our quarterback at UVA and I was a GA with the quarterbacks. And so we, you know, me, Rick and Wayne shoots was his name. We played a lot of golf and you stayed with uh, Rick and Wayne and we went out and played golf. And I do remember because Rick, Rick is just a really funny guy. And we, and he just had a, just a ball with you that day when we went out and played golf. I mean, he, he was just relentless on you. Yeah. Rick, Rick, um, that, that, Man, oh man, those were good times. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and Rick and I, our paths crossed uh, when he was at the Mavericks. I was at SMU. Okay. And people don't know how funny he is yeah. uh, because he always has this serious um, look on, and he's a pretty intense guy, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, very smart, smart guy. Yeah. And um, but yeah, he's he we <laughs> we we had some good times. Yeah, we had some good times, some good yeah. laughs. I just remember that 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 day that that was just a lot of fun. All right, so this is being recorded. This podcast episode is being recorded uh, just before the Final Four of 2022 with Villanova, Kansas, Carolina, and Duke. So, Matt, as a uh, expert in bas in basketball, who do you got? Well. I'll go uh, with the easier pick first, Kansas over Villanova. I think that uh, Villanova will probably be down one of their best players who's hurt. And I think uh, as a result, Kansas will move on to the championship game. I do think if I was betting <clears throat> with my money, I would bet Duke. Uh, my heart is with Carolina, obviously. But I just think that a couple things. Duke has more talent. I think they have at least three, maybe four first round draft choices on their roster. Mm -hmm. I think they'll, uh, where Carolina, I don't think has any first round draft choices on their roster. Mm -hmm. I think the pressure's off Duke. When Carolina last met Duke, there was so much pressure on those kids and their three, I think they start three freshmen. There's so much pressure on that last home game, Coach K's last home game yeah. in Cameron Indoor Stadium. 
And there's so much attention that it really was tough on their players. Now that they made the final four, I think there's less pressure. I think they've really grown as a team. And I think that uh, they're tough matchups. Like, I don't know if Carolina can match up with Banchero. Um, I think that Baycott, if he gets in foul trouble, it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult for the Tar Heels. So I would bet my money on Duke, but my heart on Carolina. Then the championship game, if it goes according to, uh, you know, those, those outcomes, Duke and Kansas, it's going to be really tough for the Duke players to re-energize their batteries Mm-hmm. in 48 hours to play Kansas having gone through such an emotional game with Carolina. Mm-hmm. Now coach K has done that before, but he did it with Grant Hill, Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley, who mm-hmm. were, I think, you know, like a uh, sophomore, junior and seniors, mm-hmm. not freshmen. So that's going to be critical. And as a result, um, it's going to be a very close game and I don't know who's going to win the finals. Um, but it'd be pretty magical if Coach K went out with the championship. Yeah, it would. But I got to tell you, it's, it's uh, you know, between these four coaches, it will be a leadership lesson to watch. And so if people, uh, if you're a basketball fan, if you're a sports fan, uh, but even if you're not, if you tune in uh, to those three games and, and really watch those four, for people in in those leadership positions in action, I think you'll be able to come away with some really valuable lessons. Yeah, it's it's you know the thing that I learned as a coach, <clears throat> Steve, I was pretty good with the science of coaching. Mm-hmm. Like I felt very good and still feel strongly that I'm really good tactician. That's the, the science of coaching. The art of coaching is managing the emotions, yeah. the emotional intelligence of the coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where all four of these coaches are elite, that they emotionally connect with their players and understand what they're going through and what buttons to push. And that's the nuance kind of leadership. And that's where the great coaches develop their reputation is when do you push the button? What button do you push? You know, Bobby Bond is attributed with a quote. He says, it's not so much about the S's and O's. It's more about the Johnny's and the Joe's. That's right. Yeah, no, You're right. And then how do you make sure they're emotionally ready to play? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the art of coaching, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. It'll be interesting to see how Coach K manages that um, that the, 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 that twenty yeah forty eight out forty eight to fifty two hours. You know, between if he if he does beat Carolina, and to get those kids to recharge, like you said, because we all have, um, you know, we all have energy right and some have some people have more than others but that's all limit and and how we draw from those energy pools and how much we draw from them um is that you know willpower runs out and if he can you know his really his culmination of his coaching career uh will be on will 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 be on exhibit because that's probably 
the biggest leadership challenge is to maintain those those those, uh, those 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 energy pools as much as possible, and you do that through habits, mm-hmm. and so that'll be on display, and that's going to be fascinating to watch if if Duke does win. Well, when they win, if if they win, <clears throat> watch the players and see if they celebrate or not. Yeah. When they beat UNLV in 91, because they got blown out the year before by UNLV, I think in the national championship game or the final four. Yeah. And um, the players were jumping up and down because they beat UNLV in the semifinals. Coach K immediately, you know, was calm down, calm down, calm down. We have another game to play in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And they ended up beating Kansas in the championship. So, um, yeah, there's nobody – more qualified than coach K to be in this position. So um, it'll be an interesting thing to see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in the handshake line after the Carolina Duke game. Will the assistants at Duke shake hands with Hubert Davis? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's always that was an issue in the last game. Yeah. There's always a thing with, with Carolina and Duke. Well, Matt, I, I appreciate all your time. And this has been uh, just just great catching up with you. And uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. So uh, again, uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for your friendship, Steve. Oh, you you as well, Matt. Have a ha, have a great day. You too. All right, everybody. This is uh, Steve Long. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the uh, uh, to, to the X Factor, and we'll see you next time.